The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This podcast is brought to you by the Sun Valley Wellness Festival. Featuring the top speakers, visionaries, and practitioners addressing diverse aspects in the fields of body, spirit, and environmental wellness. Featuring keynote speakers, Jewel, Marianne Williamson, and Concert with MC Yogi. For more information, visit sunvalleywellness.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guests today are Dr. Andrew Newberg and Mark Waldman, co-authors of How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain. Dr. Newberg is the Director of Research at the Jefferson Mirna Brind Center of Integrative Medicine and a physician at Jefferson University Hospital. Mark Waldman is a neuroscience researcher, a leading expert on communication, spirituality, and the brain, and is on the faculty of Loyola Marymount University's College of Business. Their new book, How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain, is reviewed in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Andrew Newberg and Mark Waldman, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank I'm you very much. To be We're happy to be here. This, this should be an interesting 20 minutes. I'm a big fan of the two of you and of your work. I think I've read almost everything, if not everything. And I want to begin, though, before we get into the, the books themselves, or, or especially the new one, uh, just a sense of your own spiritual journeys. So my guess is, you know, based on last names, that you both come from a Jewish background. Uh, and I'm just curious if you're still there. I mean, obviously, Jewish background, but if you're still involved in Judaism in any way, or has your study research taken you in a direction that sort of transcends any, any religion in particular? So we can start with you, Mark, if you like. Well, I was raised in the secular Jewish background. My parents were very politically active in terms of civil rights. And so I have that kind of humanistic, uh, humanism, humanistic type of orientation. But I had a mystical experience about 25 years ago where I suddenly felt utterly connected to everything, the trees, the environment, myself. And in that moment, I went from being an agnostic into an atheist because I had a thought that came to me. I said, there's no God. This is life. This is it. Enjoy it. Savor it as much as possible. And it totally transformed my spiritual orientation uh, and set me on the route for exploring all of these types of spiritual practices that Andy has been doing brain scan research on for years, decades. So, Andrew, I'm going to ask you in a second to answer the same question, but Mark, let sure. me just uh, follow up on this. So d what triggered the experience? Were you intending, you were trying to invoke this in some way? No, it was a spontaneous experience. And when it happened, the first thought that came to my mind was, oh, that's what those Hindus and Buddhists are talking about. 
And that's what actually gave me my first glimmer of maybe I should start exploring what these spiritual practices are, mystical practices, and what this notion of enlightenment might be about. So the practices, you continue with that or not? I am the consummate individual that will jump into the spiritual practices. I will try and sample everything. And then Andy and I will use our accumulated research and all of the evidence-based studies that we can find. And my goal is to say, is to find what are the fastest, simplest, easiest strategies that can alter your consciousness in ways that can improve or enhance your life or your awareness or your well-being or make you feel more connected to yourself, to other people or to the whole universe. Okay, so that's where I want to go with this conversation. But before we jump right into that, uh, Andy, give us uh, a sense of, of your spiritual autobiography. Sure. I started out in a, in a Reformed Jewish type of household. Uh, we were not particularly religious, but there was always a lot of encouragement of asking a lot of questions, uh, exploring our different beliefs. And that's really, to me, one of the things that set me down my path because I always asked lots of questions and I was encouraged to do so. Uh, questions about the nature of God, the you know how, why there are different religious beliefs and so forth. And as I went through my training, um, I was able to really, um, as I went through my education, I was able to really think a lot about um, the nature of reality and how we kind of understood that nature of reality. And it led me to question a lot of things and and even doubt a lot of things as I as I went through this process. And I, I ultimately ended up in a a very profound kind of an experience in which um, I, I kind of came to realize that I almost had to doubt pretty much everything in such a powerful way that uh, that in many ways it was kind of it was very comforting to me, and um, and and it started me down a whole path of of asking questions and trying to discover the answers to the questions about the nature of spirituality, the nature of how our brain and mind work, and help us to embrace that kind of spirituality. And, and I still feel very strongly connected to my Jewish roots as well, and it's something that uh, I, I continue to explore that part of the whole equation as well. So, so for me, it, it has been a very universalizing kind of experience. It, it certainly raised many, many doubts in my own mind, but uh, as, as, as we'll talk, um, that sense of doubt is something that actually has become very comfortable for me, and in fact, sometimes is almost more comfortable to me than when I come to the, the feeling that I might actually know something. So uh, that, that sense of doubt is, to me, what really propels this entire investigation and in trying to explore these questions about enlightenment, about spirituality, about God, uh, and all the ways in which we as human beings experience reality. So, Mark, it sounds like you would agree with that, that the centrality of doubt. Actually, yes. Uh, I've always been plagued by a sense of doubt and uncertainty. I've never trusted any of my thoughts. I always had a sense of self-doubt going on. So when Andy shared with me this amazing experience of him being in an endless sea of doubt, I thought, oh God, that sounded absolutely terrible. But then Andy said, no, it was the most peaceful experience in the world. Now, I've since had other experiences that have triggered a sense of well-being that have come both out of deliberate deep, intense meditation, but more often than not, just spontaneous experiences. I was watching a movie called The Third Miracle, and at the end of the movie, I found myself in this state of grace, and I thought, 
I used the word grace because that was the only word that came to mind. I thought that's what the Christian contemplatives were talking about. And I stayed in this incredibly doubt-free state for about six weeks. It was amazing. So, you know, in the in the Zen tradition, where I've, I've spent a long decade, um, there's a teacher, uh, I think he's Korean, Sung San, who's a Zen master, and he's got a book, it's based on a teaching, of course, but the title of the book is Only Don't Know. And it seemed like, it seems like you're both saying that, that, that uh, you don't want to get fixated on an answer. You're really uh, willing to doubt the answers in order to free the research to see what's what's true as opposed to what is you know the accepted idea of the moment Fair well that's enough? correct yeah that's correct and and a lot of uh what we now have in a, in our new book how enlightenment changes your brain is based on uh, an online survey that we've been running over the past 5 6 years where we've gotten about 2000 people who told us about these experiences and it's been fascinating to us to see uh, on one hand the various the uniqueness of each of these experiences and how it affected each person on a very individual, very subjective basis. But we also tried to explore what were the commonalities of these experiences that helped to, to define them for the individual. What, what was it about the experience, if not in specifics, in the generalities that made these experiences something that was so compelling and so powerful. But, but a lot of what allowed us to explore that was the notion of being open and understanding of all the different perspectives that people take on these experiences. So how are you defining enlightenment and how enlightenment changes your brain? Well, I think that uh, Andy came up with a rather brilliant way because we found that there were at least three or four different schools of enlightenment. There's the Eastern forms of enlightenment, but like you mentioned, Zen enlightenment, Zen enlightenment seems to be very different from like the Hindu forms of enlightenment. The Hindu forms of enlightenment would be just what I would call a big, oh, wow, experience, or what Andy will call a big E experience, where you suddenly feel part of this cosmic consciousness, you feel connected to the whole universe, everything changes, or the sense of the Buddha being enlightened. But you mentioned Zen, where you stare at a blank wall until basically your whole inner speech, your whole everyday consciousness collapses. And in that moment, the Zen notion of enlightenment is one of pure clarity. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. And then you have Western notions of enlightenment that might simply be kind of like, um, you know, um, who's, who's the person, Andy, who sat in the bathtub and the water all flowed and he went to your No, Archimedes. Yeah, Archimedes. There's, there's a small enlightenment experience where he discovers a whole new view of science and everything else. And we have the age of enlightenment where people are saying, let us use our logic and reason to overcome superstition and in that way, have the, what I would call the aha experiences of a sudden insight. And so 
both of these types of areas, there's a lot of research on how the brain, what state your brain has to be in to have a sudden insight. It's kind of the same. You have to suspend the way you normally think. You have to kind of put aside all of your belief systems and you have to be in this very open-minded, very mellow, almost a trans state form of reality or a dream state form of reality. And you invite an insight to come in. And many times you'll get a small aha experience that seems to come like from your intuition. And our model is that if you get enough of those small insights, you might be able to prime your brain to reach a point where your entire belief system can collapse. You look at the world in a brand new way and what we find from Andy's studies and the survey that he did is virtually every one of those people felt that their lives transformed for the better. And so my question was, all right, this is how enlightenment works. Here are our brain scan studies showing what seems to happen during those experiences. Now, can we create a set of simple exercises that anyone can do to make the small aha experiences more accessible and maybe even help a person to experience those big E enlightenment experiences that you hear about in the East. So I want to get a sense of those practices, but first, Andy, yep. in, in some of your books, I mean, you give the scans there, you show us the reader, you know, what the brain looks like when it's on chanting or prayer or meditation uh, or speaking in tongues. Uh, do you, when people are having this enlightenment experience and, you know, Mark mentioned different kinds, is your sense that the brain is doing the same thing in each instance? Is Archimedes having the same experience as the Buddha? Well, I think that there is a, a substantial overlap in terms of what's actually happening in the brain. And, and as Mark mentioned, some of the characteristics that we started to look at in the context of enlightenment included this profound sense of clarity that things, you know, people finally kind of understood the world uh, very clearly. They understood the reality in a very specific way, in a very clear way, more so than they ever had before. Uh, another interesting element of these experiences is this sense of kind of surrendering oneself to, to the experience, that it's just kind of, it, we kind of prepare ourselves for it, but it ultimately kind of happens to us uh, in such a compelling and powerful way that we're not kind of purposely making it happen. And what we did was we started to look at these different elements and say, well, what are the areas of the brain that are involved in these kinds of experiences? So, for example, uh, we have a number of brain scan studies of people who are doing ex uh, practices where they, they feel that they've surrendered to the experience. And this occurs in practices like uh, Islamic prayer, uh, speaking in tongues, uh, different trance states like some of the mediumistic studies that we did. And what we typically find is in, in this particular or with, with this particular element is that the frontal lobes, which normally help us to feel like we're in control, actually shut down. And that when this shutdown occurs, you begin to feel like you're losing your ability to control the process, that it's sort of you, you give your consciousness over to the process and allow it to happen. So whenever somebody has that kind of an experience, whether it is in a Christian context, uh, any, any, just you know, a, a spontaneous mystical type of experience like Marx, uh, a, the, a Buddha type experience, that sense that one just kind of gives themselves over to the experience, we believe is associated with this change in the frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. And then we look at other elements, for example, the sense of oneness, and this is something that we've talked about in our prior books, the sense of connectedness and oneness with God, with the universe, with infinite consciousness. Uh, this seems to be associated with a, substan a substantial decrease of activity 
in, in the parietal lobe, the part of our brain, it's located in the back of our brain, that helps us to establish our sense of self and helps us to kind of figure out where everything is in the world. And if this area starts to go quiet, then we lose our sense of self and we lose the boundaries between objects and we have this experience of this incredible sense of oneness, which is also a common element to the Enlightenment experience. So we start to piece together based on the imaging studies as well as how people describe these experiences, what was going on in the brain and to see where those similarities are. Now, obviously, if you feel connected with Buddha, theoretically, there are slightly different neurons that might be affected than if you feel connected to God. But the basic idea of feeling connected is a similar characteristic across the experiences. And in similar similar parts of the brain. So uh, we've got about five minutes left, and I want to get some of these, uh, you know, marks marks of the fastest ways to make this happen. And then I have I have another question I want to ask you that's uh, that actually has years of history behind it uh, between the two of us, and we'll get to that hopefully. So in, in a couple of minutes, Mark, can you give us a sense of what are the things people can do to trigger this kind of experience? One of the easiest ways to give a person an experience of shifting between different levels of consciousness because what we want a person to do to have a aha experience or an oh wow experience is to create dramatic shifts of activity in your frontal lobe and parietal lobe. So if I was to ask everyone right now, for example, to take one slow mindful breath in, like you just breathe in slowly and become aware of how your chest moves, how your belly moves, and as you breathe out, notice how the temperature in your nose changes, you're concentrating on the experience of your breathing. Here, you're raising the activity in your frontal lobes. So let's say you do 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes of mindful breathing or any other form of concentration meditation. We'll see that your frontal lobes are becoming more and more active as you immerse yourself in the sound of a bell, or a particular object that you're studying, or just paying attention to your breath. So do that for five or 10 minutes. But now I will give you two different techniques that will quite quickly lower activity in your frontal lobe. And the first one may seem kind of silly, but it seems to be the fastest way to lower activity in your frontal lobe. Yawn 10 times. Do one yawn right now. I'll yawn with you. <sighs> and you should notice, if you really pay attention to each yawn that you do, you're going to feel something very, very different than when you were just watching your breathing. You'll feel a sense of quietness taking place. You might feel less ability to find words. So the yawning is dropping activity in the frontal lobe. And now if you really want to, do something rather remarkable, start breathing really deeply as fast as you can like this. Now, if you do that literally for 11 minutes, you could start to hallucinate. So I don't recommend that. But what you're doing is so rapidly altering the neural activity throughout your entire brain that you are shifting the everyday consciousness that you use for performing daily tasks. So what we guide you through in the book, we'll do rela relaxation exercises, focusing exercises, and then we'll guide you into more intense rituals. So, for example, if you well, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to interrupt Mark only because we're down to 
the end of the show. My guests today were Dr. Andrew Newberg and Mark Waldman, co-authors of How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain. You can learn about their work on uh, Dr. Newberg's website is andrewnewberg.com. And Mark Waldman has a website, markrobertwaldman.com. So, Andrew, Mark, again, thank you very much for being with us on Essential Conversations. My thank pleasure. you very much. This is really fascinating. Support for this week's edition of Essential Conversations is provided by Sun Valley Wellness Festival, featuring top speakers, visionaries, and practitioners in the fields of body, spirit, and environmental wellness. This year's festival will be held May 27th to the 30th and features Jewel, Marianne Williamson, Joan Borisenko, and MC Yogi. For more information, visit sunvalleywellness.org. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats. And download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator is Almatasi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.